And welcome to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Eric Lopez. Jeff Sharon's out on vacation this week, but Brian Murphy is with me. Uh, busy show here. Coming up, we're going to talk about the big news on UCF football that came out on Wednesday. Daryl Mack out indefinitely with an injury. We'll break that down and what it means for the team uh, as training camps just about three weeks away for UCF football. Plus, we'll also be joined by the Spectrum uh, Sports Despina Barton. We're going to talk a lot with her a lot about Taco Fall and Taco Mania, and, and as well as B.J. <laughs> Taylor, because she covered him since high school. So we'll talk about that and their prospects as far as perhaps playing in the NBA. We'll get to all that topics on this edition of the Black and Go Banneret podcast. Of course, uh, you could uh, follow all our content at Black and Go Banneret. Dot com. Lots of great content up there as we speak. All the latest news there. You can follow us on Twitter as well as UCF underscore Banneret. And, of course, you can listen to us on all your favorite devices for podcasts. Murph, how you doing? Oh, business business picked up, as they say in the business. <laughs> yeah, you know, business we were, has picked up. You know, we, got, we, we took last week off. Uh, some might think it's the July 4th weekend celebration, but earlier we took it off because it was your birthday week, so we figured Murphy's Law should be <laughs> – Murphy's Law is taken out. Apparently, Jeff don't wanted to extend his vacation to two weeks. Um, <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is factually not true. Uh, let's be honest. Let's be honest. We took it off because it wasn't anything to talk about. Well, There's that, nothing to talk, nothing to talk well, about last week. Well, there is this week, my friend. Boy, oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Last week, I was like, there's nothing to talk about. So they came back and I was like, yeah, you want something to talk about? Here's something to talk about. And boy, are they ever. All right, let's get into oh. it. The, it came out early Wednesday. UCF came out officially on a press release that Daryl Mack suffered a broken ankle from a non-football-related activity uh, this past week, and there is no specific timetable for his return. He's out indefinitely. Josh Heupel, in a statement, said, quote, quarterback Daryl Mack Jr. suffered a broken ankle from a non-football-related re- re- activity this week. There's no specific timetable for the return. He will not be available for training camp. We hope Daryl has a speedy recovery, but we are excited about the talent we have in the quarterback room to start the season. That was Josh Heupel in the UCF uh, in the press release, in the statement there. Uh, Brian, you've obviously been following this closely since it came out, um, and we kind of heard whispers of this even before it came out. Uh, and now it's official. Your reaction? Yeah, uh, you know it's it, it's it's too bad. Obviously, like my reaction is, you know, it's just a tough. It's really a, just a tough setback for Daryl Mack, who really wants to make this starting job his own. And yes, he was going to have to compete with Brandon Wimbush and possibly some others for this job. But you know, you consider that with his experience last year and, and uh, against Memphis and knowing the playbook as well as he does and having that. Uh, that edge on top of Winbush, as far as you know, being in the system and being in the program longer, he would have, um, you know, the lead heading into fall camp, and so now that's all washed away. He will not participate at all in fall camp. Uh, you know, you have to expect he's going to miss at least a couple of games uh, to start the season, and so this is really a bummer just from his standpoint. You know, because you know his prospects this season were were looking fairly bright. Yeah, it really was. You know, you would think based on the experience of having played those games last year, winning the conference championship and the bowl game, he would have the upper hand going into this competition. And now he's out. And, you know, 
I don't think you can rule him out for the as far as being back eventually getting snaps when he's healthy, but it does give right. open the opportunity here for Brandon Wimbush to get all the snaps, the majority of the snaps here once they do start uh, and report and get accustomed to this team. Now we'll get into the the three quarterbacks on the roster there, uh, but this is the big thing. A couple things here I take away from. This is why UCF exactly got Brandon Wimbush, right, in the transfer yeah. because of a situation like this possibly happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, I wrote about it. it. I have an article on the site uh, talking about Max's injury, but I wrote about how, you know, initially when, when Brandon Wimbush decided to come here uh, over the early part or the late part of the winter, uh, it was seen as a luxury. They got somebody to fill McKenzie's shoes, somebody who could give them depth in the room, who could, you know, push Mac an experienced signal caller, and now you need Brandon Wimbush. Like, like, like you, you really, really, really need him. And so this is this is sort of why you have depth. And so and this is actually why, even in the reality of not having Mackenzie Milton or having Daryl Mack, uh, at least for Mack, part of the season, you can still feel pretty confident with this offense. Um, because Wimbush has shown he can handle himself in, in a big in big games with big programs and be productive. Uh, they're kind of the same player, Mac and Wimbush, uh, and so you you would assume that the playbook wouldn't change very much. So even with the injuries to the the biggest most important position in football happening doubly, you know, happening twice to UCF, this offense still looks pretty good, and that's because they covered themselves by making sure they had enough depth at that position. What did you think prior to this injury? I mean, I know it's, you know, you want to wait till see what happens in camp and talking to people and things like that. But, you know, we all have preconceived thoughts. I yeah. felt personally that regardless, I, I didn't think they were going to really go full in as far as naming a starter until the week of the FAMU game anyway to begin with. And I felt like even if they named a starter, I thought both Mack and Winbush were going to play definitely in the FAMU game. In fact, I could, would not be surprised if you would have seen three quarterbacks play in that game, if not all four. Uh, in the FAMU game, but I would I thought both would play in the first couple of games of the year going into, and then maybe we'll have a better feel for who's the guy going into the Stanford game. What was your thoughts going in prior to this injury? Yeah, I think Mac had the lead just as, as being the, incum the incumbent, but I, yeah, I did not rule out possibility and probably the likelihood that we would see both of them, you know, in the same game. Maybe I thought for, for some packages on the field at the same time, both of them together. Um, because they are such good athletes and can really um, change games with their legs. Uh, so even if they're not, you know, even if they're not passing, they can take the ball and go. Uh, but yeah, I thought Mac had the, had you know had the the sort of the incumbent lead, uh, and really from there I didn't know what would happen. You know, I could certainly see that a bad camp uh, from Mac and a good camp from Wimbush could give him uh, the, the job. I never considered it more than truly more than a two horse race. I mean. Dylan Gabriel is certainly involved, and if you want to talk about long-term, Dylan Gabriel might be the best quarterback of the four that UCF's got right now. Um, but as far as the start of 2019, it was either going to be Mack or Wimbush. I would say Mack you know, uh, would have been the, the choice, um, but now, obviously, there is no other choice but Wimbush. You're not going to see Der Dylan Gabriel, or Quadra Jones for that matter, line up uh, week one. No, but I do think they both play here, Murph, and, and this is now the equate. Keep in mind now with the new rule uh, that was started last year, you could still play a kid, uh, what is it, three games or four games, and still redshirt them. It's not like it used right, to be four where games. four games, thank you. 
It wasn't like before where if you played him a game, you would lose the opportunity to redshirt him. So it's conceivable that if you're UCF, you could still play Dylan Gabriel, let's say, pick out four games and still redshirt him. So it gives you some flexibility that you may not have had a couple of years ago if this situation would have happened two years ago. No, absolutely. I mean, you can look at even last year, like, uh, Quadri Jones took a red shirt last year, but uh, you know most UCF fans will remember that he was on the field for one play last year. Yeah. It was in it was in East Carolina, and he he and he would be part of the double double pass touchdown to Adrian Killen, uh, and he you know he took a red shirt because he only played one game. So yeah, they could give Dylan Gabriel some some experience. Certainly, that experience could come about in games against like an F you know a FAMU or maybe uh, even FAU. Or, or you know other teams that just aren't as good uh, later on in the season, they can give him some, some mop up work and get him get his feet in the water, so to speak. So yeah, that that uh, he so Dylan Gabriel is going to play. I I, I agree with that. I, I I don't think unless something catastrophic happens to both Mac and Wimbush and they're both sidelined together, then in no way do I think that Gabriel will start. Uh, but, you know, but but we'll see. I mean, you know, there are. I, I will leave myself this bit of opening to say that that Mac and Wimbush don't have issues as a passer uh, is far off base because they certainly do. And there's a reason why Wimbush lost his job in Notre Dame last year. He's a great athlete, but like Mac, he's really scattershot with his accuracy. And so if it gets into a rut where Wimbush is the only one of, you know, if Mac still hurt and Wimbush just, is looking really, really bad as a passer in the system. Uh, and, and UCF, you know, God forbid, loses a couple of games, you know, back-to-back, then you could maybe hear some of the whispers, you know, maybe uh, people pining for uh, Dylan Gabriel to get his shot. But I think that's kind of extreme. Uh, but, yes, Gabriel will play. But, again, it would take something unforeseen for him to be a starter. Plus, and again, just because Max out right now doesn't mean, let's say, he could be healthy by, let's say, the Stanford game. And all of a sudden, he may be inserted as the backup. And if Wimbush struggles, Matt could be back in that lineup too. Because uh, I agree with you. Because I know there's a lot of fans out there excited about Dylan Gabriel and then, and then you know about this talent. And and some of this I think comes because of the comparison to Mackenzie Milton. I would remind people that Mackenzie Milton in his freshman year was not good. And Scott mm-hmm. Frost and that staff, their plan was to redshirt him. The only reason they didn't redshirt him is because they had no choice. Justin Holman injured his hamstring in the Michigan mm-hmm. game back in 2016. And so you see Scott Frost's options were, uh, I think it was Nick Patty or just say, and I think he pretty much said, screw it, we're going to throw the freshman out there and let's just get him his reps now. But that was a yeah. different situation. You're At that time, he was taking over a team that had gone winless the year before, not a team that had gone undefeated in the regular season the last couple of years and is a contender for a conference title like this team is. So I agree with you. Winbush has won a lot of big games too. Um, so I don't expect Gabriel to start unless of an injury occurs to Wimbush and Mac at the same time, and they're both hurt at the same time. I, I mean, and that makes the most sense. Uh, and, and so, yeah, and I, I think, you know, let's talk about Quadri Jones for a second because he is part of the group. Yeah. I think Quadri Jones here is the clear number three or four or, or wherever you want to put him. You know, if you have Mac's hurt, you have three left. Jones is your clear three. Uh, I don't really think he's in this race. He is, you know, uh, an, an athletic kid, but he is undersized. Uh, from all intents and purposes, it sounds like Gabriel is the best passer of this group. So there's, you know, there's no edge there that Quadri can really create in, in that facet. 
Um, so, you know, let's just put that where, where, where it belongs, where, you know, Quadri is, is the last man in this group, and, and we'll, we'll go from there. I agree, although I am interested to see when the depth chart comes out, where how they list them, because just because eh. Gabriel just because Gabriel's ahead doesn't mean they might put uh hear me out here, Quadri Jones is the number two, just because they might try to think about redshirting Gabriel and then all of a sudden they could flip him because Milton was a number three going into 2016, but then they flipped him to, from the number three to starting because their plan was to redshirt him. Now, obviously, the counter to that is with the redshirt rule changes, there's no, really no need to do that because you could play him in yeah. four games anyway. So I agree. I, I think Dylan Gabriel will be the number two at the end of the day and Quadri at three. But, again, I'm not going to dismiss Mac completely. I mean, he should rec- if he recovers from this injury, he'll be back healthy. And if, you know – you have to. You got to believe this coaching staff will play to Wimbush's strengths, and I think they know what they have in them. And let's be honest here, Murph. This team really get is, is gets going when it's running game, and I thought we saw that more with last year. When they run the football, that's when they're at their best. They're not a team that's going to be throwing the football 40, 50 times anyway. No, absolutely not. I mean, and then with these quarterbacks, they don't want to. Again, the accuracy is the issue here. So you want to be a run first team, and they've got. If, again, it's it's kind of a broken record because I feel like we've been saying this for the last few years with, with the offenses that they've run out there, but they have a variety of guys who can do different things. Obviously, Adrian Killens is your big play, speed back that you want to get into space. Greg McRae has really come forward as a, as a three-down back, which is, is kind of weird for a guy of his background and his size, but he, he did handle it at times last year. He was especially good in the second half. Uh, you know, Otis Anderson is a utility guy, has really become a better receiver. Uh, you know, and Batavius Thompson is still in the picture. So, yeah, they, they, they want to run a lot. And with these quarterbacks, those guys add a dimension, too. So, you know, the defense knows that's coming. But I think the defense knew that was coming when, you know, Mac was facing them anyway. And at times, it was still hard to stop because these guys are very talented. How much of a drop-off, if you thought it was a drop-off, you think it is from Mac to Wimbush? Do you think it's a it's a big adjust, a minor uh, adjustments, big adjustments? Like, how would you classify it? Uh, marginal, uh, yeah, very much so. I, I, I like the injury here is 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 bad in 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 the scope of just Daryl Mac. It it sucks for him, but for UCF as a whole. It's it's sort of like moving from Daryl Mack to a more experienced Daryl Mack. Uh, Brandon Wimbush is a little smaller. He's a little slighter, but he's still a pretty big kid at 226 too. Um, he's not a great passer. Neither is Mack. He's a really, really good runner in the open field. So is Daryl Mack. Uh, they, they kind of bring the same thing to the table. And so that's why I don't think, even though you know, uh, Wimbush you know, relatively has not been in that room very long, it's not gonna, it shouldn't take a, a long time for him to pick up on that playbook because a lot of, that, a lot of the playbook that, that Josh Heifel was going to design uh, for Mac should fit in right with Brandon right. Wimbush's strengths. They do the same thing. So, no, I don't think it, I don't think it harms anything. Uh, if anything, you have a guy who, you know, because he's a senior – uh, he just has more experience in those big situations, which is not a bad thing to have. No, and I think that's big. And again, I know there's a lot. A lot there's some Gabriel people are going to clamor for uh, for Gabriel. You just know that's how fans are. But again, I will remind yeah. people that Mackenzie Milton was not good in his freshman year. You could argue he single handedly cost him the Maryland game with the turnovers. And that's what's going to happen when you have a freshman. It's nothing, you know. And he turned out great. I think this team can win games 
just with uh, getting with good quarterback play from Winbush. He doesn't have to win the game for them. They have, as you mentioned, they're still going to be favorites. I would say what, Murph? You think they're still favored in like nine, ten games with Wimbush, probably? Yeah, they're they're favored except for probably the game. Uh, you know, maybe uh, definitely not. You know, at Cincinnati, I don't I don't know they'll be favored. Do you think they, they do you think they'll be favored at Temple or at Pittsburgh or both of those games? I think it depends how Pittsburgh starts. I think the UCF will be favored. Um, the Stanford game's interesting. It depends on how Stanford comes in. Stanford opens mm-hmm. the season with Northwestern at home, and then they're at USC. So if Stanford's 2-0, they're going to be ranked pretty high. So they might Stanford yeah. might be the pick. But again, Stanford could also be 0-2, and then at that point, UCF's the favorite. I, so I think UCF will be, if I had to bet, I think UCF's favorite in all the home games. I think Pittsburgh maybe is a toss-up. I think Cincinnati, we're going to know about them early because they open at home with UCLA and they're at Ohio State. So that could tell the story, you know. And, you know, it depends yeah. on what UCF's record is. But I, I still think UCF will be favored, actually. I'm looking at the schedule. They're, FAMU, at FAU, I think they're going to be huge favorites in those games. Yeah. FAU has quarterback issues still. And I and they, have to, they have to replace Singletary at the running back position. So I don't mm-hmm. even think the quarterback's a factor in those two games. I think Stanford, obviously, is a factor, but I don't think the quarterback's going to decide the game in the Stanford game. The line of scrimmage is going to decide that game. And I would argue it's the same in Pittsburgh. Um, yeah. UConn's terrible. You're right. I think Cincinnati's a threat. East Carolina's terrible. At Temple, I don't know. I mean, we, they have a new coach. I think Houston's the one game that scares me, Murph, and, and – they might be that this could be the big benefactor of this because I think Houston and this is you know this will segue because we got media days next week for the American Conference uh, yeah. in Rhode Island you're going to be up there and to me there's obvious questions the conference realignment situation and and all that stuff but I think as far as on the field this year my biggest question is the health of Derek King the quarterback yeah. in Houston because I think if he's healthy he is clearly the best quarterback in this league, and that could be the big difference in maybe perhaps Houston being one of the favorites now to win the lead, the conference because perhaps that's a big gap that UCF may or may not be able to uh, come you know come out of depending on how you believe Wimbush will play. Right, and we've seen you know Houston have better defenses than they probably have this year. They will not have a great defense, but in this league, you know where it's sort of like Big Twelve South East. Uh, defense has been in times optional. So it's really, can you score more? And De'Ara King, uh, I don't know, how do you describe Like how, He was a one-man show last year before before the injury. Uh, he's, he's absolutely the best quarterback in this league if he stays healthy. And we've seen UCF, certainly players go and, and, and different players come in, but we've seen UCF really struggle with mobile yeah. dual-threat quarterbacks over the years. This is a, this is a more than a one-year thing. Uh, and he is a, a dynamo. So absolutely, that, that is a that, that is something to watch. My only my only thing there, and this is you know just based on track record, like I, if UCF loses a game, it's really hard for me to see them losing at home right now. I believe that game's at home, and I, I just it's it's hard for me to see them right now losing a game at home. Uh, so I, I'm looking more toward games on the road where they could slip up. Certainly, that Cincinnati game sticks out. But they may have to beat Houston twice in theory. Yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 then you know, depend. I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Obviously, we'll get plenty of time uh, <laughs> as we get closer to kickoff to break down the schedule. But I mean, I think that's going to be interesting there because you, you know, Milton can erase a lot of maybe deficiencies if a team, you know, that that I think that's the big takeaway. And this was I think was going to be evident even if Mac was the quarterback. The room for air, like a, a game where UCF could turn the ball over four or five times. 
I don't think that exists this year. Am I wrong on that? Like, I felt like – and I know they did that against Memphis in the title game. But <laughs> I was just going to say that. But Memphis – I mean, don't get me started on Mike on Memphis and Norvell. I, I, the, the, I know. I don't think you could pull that off this year uh, as teams do more, you know, work on Mac and stuff. You might be – I think Cincinnati will be the biggest threat in their division, and I think Houston's probably right up there, but uh, – you know, I I do I think Wimbush will protect the football is my point, and I think that's the big thing that he he did a pretty good job at Notre Dame. His issue, what got him, as you mentioned, is the his passing game, and I think that's going to be the thing that's going to get obviously uh, dissected a lot. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and uh, you know, you'd also I mean we're getting we're getting too deep in the weeds here, but you would also expect that you know hopefully the front seven of that UCF defense, even with the new name can be more of an impediment to opposing offenses, which it just wasn't on the ground last year yes. for many, many stretches. So, again, we're, we're getting way – I we're love it. Okay, yeah. We're talking about December now. It's July 10th. Woo! Jesus Lord. Let's do it, baby. Can't wait. Um, All right. What's the biggest question you're – what are a couple questions you're looking forward to here in a few minutes here? You're going to go up there. What's the couple things you're going to you're look look forward to the most and, and your biggest questions you have going to the American Conference media days for the last time in Rhode Island? Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, now, I will say it's beautiful. It's be- I, when I went there last year, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's like 70 degrees in like July. It's great. It's right there on the water. Um, I will, so I want to mention one thing about Mac that I want to bring up in Rhode Island. I, I hope Pipel has more information on this injury because there's so many things that need to be answered before we can really get a good idea of when Daryl Mack can compete again. Uh, you know, people can look and say like, well, broken ankles take, you know, about four to eight, to, you know, four to six to eight weeks to heal. Yeah. But that depends on a lot of factors. And so he has a broken ankle. That is very vague. Uh, is the ankle a clean break? Is it a displaced fracture? Uh, where on the bone is, is, is it broken? Uh, and so because he's a running quarterback, also you have to deal with, the lingering effects of that as you know, a big part of your game. And I, I, how long does it take him to get full range of motion back? And how long does it take him to get the pain to subside so he can be the full athlete that, that we know he can be? Um, is there any other damage uh, from the break that was sustained inside uh, internally that we don't know about? And so I hope he's forthcoming with that information. Uh, you know, coaches usually are very close to the vet, so I will see, but I really want to know more about this injury and, the status more than just broken ankle because that really doesn't tell us a whole lot. Um, I think getting off of Mac. Well, I'll, I'll add I, to I, that. I'll add to that. Which, which ankle is it? Right. The right or left ankle. We don't even know that. That's we don't big, even know that. No, and that's significant because, you know, you got to plant on one of them. You know what I mean? You gotta, you, I mean, there's a lot of different yeah. uh, mechanics to come that run with this. Unfortunately for you, by the way, I don't think you're going to get your answers because college I know, in particular, I know. they tend to be very – much more conservative and secretive as far as what the exact injury is for a lot of reasons I don't want to get into. It's not like it is in the pros where they kind of be more open to it. But you can at least ask like, does he need to have surgery? Right, Which, right, right, if they, right. You know, then if you say no, then you know it's probably not it's not, it's not a displaced right. fracture. Um, so, yeah, I, again, we'll see. But it is dangerous to put timetables up there. Yes, most most broken ankles take six to eight weeks. That That is just a ballpark figure. Everybody heals differently. Depends on so many factors we don't know about. Um, so, will he play this season? Yeah, unless there's something we don't know uh, right now. But again, so it's so, it's so big. I think getting off of that, uh, you know, Richie Grant is going to be up there. So, the three UCF players will be up there. It'll be three. It'll be Richie Grant, 
wide receiver Gabe Davis, and center Jordan Johnson. So two offensive guys and your and one defensive guy. But I think Richie Grant is the most captivating of the three. He is just a, first of all, he's a great talker. So he's a great interview. Period. So I don't I don't care what my question is. I know Richie's going to give me a good answer. But Richie also let's let's be honest. Richie Grant is coming into the season with major expectations, a lot of draft buzz, a top 100 player in, in, in all of college football, arguably. Um, so I just want to talk to him about you know coming into the season with this kind of spotlight on him. Uh, and he had this last year. He was a midseason, uh, a midseason All-American on some, on some uh, teams, uh, some midseason teams. So I, I just want to see what he can do this year, what he's thinking about going into this season with sort of the profile of Richie Grant being heightened a little a little further i think that's a very valid point and uh you know i think it'll be interesting to see how the, that'll be fun there up in beautiful rhode island i'm sure there'll be lots of questions about the tw- will they expand to 12 and, and all that stuff and yeah, I, what do you what do you what do you want me to ask we're, we're here let, let me know what, what should i ask uh well i think that's gonna i don't think you don't have to worry about asking that one i'm sure people are gonna ask that uh, <laughs> my personal opinion i don't think they will I think it's going to be 11 yeah. unless a BYU becomes available option as a 12th football member, and ESPN kind of endorses that. I really would. I I don't sense that. I know we got all excited the first 24, 40 hours. Hey, let's throw this team in. What about this team? I really don't think they're going to expand anytime soon. I don't. But well, yeah. maybe I'll be wrong. I, I will be wrong. I mean, uh, that's going to be good. Um, I'm looking forward to you talking to Dana Hogerson, the new Houston head coach. I mean, that'll be uh, – yeah. Uh, a little different, Mike Norvell. Uh, can you ask him about why he didn't give the ball to Daryl Henderson there in the goal line? Have you thought about that? No. In both games, like, oh, I mean, you know, I know he kind of hurt his hand in the second half of the championship game, but he was still out there. So uh, I am curious. Uh, I'm curious. And we'll get into this more next week when you're there. Um, I am curious why people still like Memphis, considering they did lose Pollard and Henderson. I'm kind of curious who the playmakers are. I know they got talent coming back, but I, I'm a little surprised how – much love Memphis still getting. I, I you know, so, we'll, we'll see. So I will, I will say this. So yeah. we can talk about this. I should probably write about this a little bit. It's just for content, hashtag sure. content. Uh, but I, you know, I turned in my, my preseason. Nobody like nobody, everybody loves preseason rankings because they're so meaningful. <laughs> uh, I turned in my preseason AAC ballot and I did have Memphis as the one out of the West. Ooh. Uh, only because, uh, like Brady White coming back is, is pretty nice. It's pretty, it's pretty good, and I, I understand that I said defense is optional, but they do have like a pretty solid defense. A lot of returning starters. Um, I, I'm, I'm blanking on a couple of the guys they have coming back. Oh, the other running back, Patrick Taylor, I believe is coming back. So they do have like offense. They do have some offensive versatility and and danger, and they do have a pretty solid defense. Like they're they're like a pretty well put together team. There's no like I don't think there's any glaring flaw. That you could say like this is going to really like 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 put them below uh, you know Houston um, or a or, or a team like that. So and by, and by the way, UCF is in its first in the East. I mean, yeah, we talk about UCF deficiencies on defense, but until somebody beats them, I don't know how you could put anybody else above them. Yeah. Cincinnati is going to be good, but it's UCF in the East. I have Memphis in the West over Houston. I have Cincinnati uh, second in the East um, uh, uh, UCF. I feel like you just wanted to bring that up to just show off the fact you have a ballot officially for the American Conference. Yeah, that's definitely That was what you did. That was sneaky. Uh, oh. You got me. <laughs> You're going to just put that ballot up on your article. That's really what it's going to be. It's just my – here's my ballot. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm so important. 
I'm, I'm so important. <laughs> yes, you are. And that's why we're going to let you roll. Get ready. Uh, I know you got to get ready for Rhode Island and uh, lovely <laughs> trips there. Uh, we'll recap Media Day next week and much more, obviously, on Black and Gold Bannerhead. Brian, Murph, tell the audience where they can find you. Oh, I'm on Twitter uh, uh, too much, but I am on Twitter at, at Spokes underscore Murphy. Uh, and so I'll be tweeting out a bunch of stuff once we get there. Once we get there next week in Rhode Island, I'll be there Tuesday. Remember last year uh, on Tuesday, they had uh, they had the McKenzie Milton Hawaiian Lay Heisman oh, campaign. Oh, true. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, and a lot of schools do have, like, their own little, like, niche thing they put out there for the media. Does UCF have anything in their, in, in their, in their pockets to, to give away to the media this year? I, uh, I am wondering. I am, I'm kind of curious. I should also note, too, that uh, I do have – about 30 of the Mackenzie Milton black Hawaiian lays still in my apartment. If anybody wants some, uh, again, hit me up at, at Murphy. I've given them away to all my family and friends. I still have a ton. Uh, so anyway, they're here, and they're still really good. They're still really nice. Wow. I mean, you're just yeah. promoting ballads. You're promoting stuff. Getting, I mean, you're Ray. just a business there. Uh, one quick thought before I do let you go. Taco Mania, your thoughts on Taco Mania taking over the summer league. I think he's got – I don't know what's going to happen with him, uh, whether he's yeah. in the NBA or overseas, but I do think this. He's definitely going to be playing in the summer league, I feel, for a few years just because of his popularity alone. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, do, where does he fit in the NBA? I don't know. I mean, his breed is a, is, a, is a dying breed. People of his ilk are going extinct in the NBA. But if you want to look off the court, like, does he sell? Does he get? Does he get you merch sales? Does he give you eyeballs? Like, does he give you the things to talk about and draw ratings? Like, I believe in some aspects, certainly more than you know, almost every other G leaguer. Yes. So in that way, he does carry you know uh, capital. He he is important. He may not be critical for a basketball standpoint uh, as far as winning a championship for the Boston Celtics, but he's important to have because. Uh, people want to talk about him and see him and, and be around him. So I, I think it's been great. I, I think Taco cherishes it. Uh, I, I really can't wait to talk to him at some point. Boy, I hope that happens. Uh, I'm trying. Uh, God, God knows I'm trying uh, at this second. Uh, but it's been fun to watch. And, and I should mention, you know, he has looked pretty good. He's had some struggles with getting up and down the floor at times because, man, the G League can be like, and one basketball at times. It can be like completely disorienting, up and down. It, it, it looks ugly. And so Taco has a hard time keeping up. But when he gets set, he moves his feet pretty well once he gets positioned, both offensively and defensively. Um, he's really showing more mobility than I think mean, a lot of people expected. So he's got a future in the NBA. Maybe it's the G League. But because he's Taco Fall and people want to see him, that makes him a commodity. It might make him overseas too, where he can make good money. He's gonna get paid. He's gonna make money wherever yeah, he goes. Let's not feel sorry for him. He's gonna make money. And this just yeah. in: apparently, he's tall. Which you know. Oh my uh, God, guys! <laughs> oh nobody, nobody knew this apparently before ESPN talked to him last <laughs> night. But Taco Fall is gigantic. How, who knew? Who knew? Oh, it's oh. Uh, who knew? God, uh, we'll get into more of talk, Taco Talk with Despina Barton of Spectrum 360 next. Murph, you're very tall myself, yourself, sir. Have a good time. We'll talk to you next I'm, week from Rhode Island. I'm 5'9", but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs>
All right, coming up next on the Black and Go Banneret Podcast, Despina Barton of uh, the Spectrum Sports joins us to talk Taco and BJ here on the Black and Go Banneret. And welcome back to the Black and Go Banneret. Eric Lopez here with you. And joining us now from Spectrum Sports, he's covered UCF as well as the high school scene as well as anybody. Uh, covers the magic, you name it. Uh, you've seen her on television. She's covered it all, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my good friend Despina Barton joins us now here, making her Black and Go Banner a debut. How you doing? Hey, Elo. How's it going? It feels great to be with you. Uh, I'm sad that it took this long for my <laughs> debut, but uh, I appreciate the invite. Well, blame Jeff for that. Uh, he doesn't like guests. I do. Uh, but that's my radio background, right? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's a lot. It's good to have you. And it's good to have you because you have a great perspective because, obviously, the summer league's going on in the NBA. You and I are NBA junkies. Uh, for a long time. I mean, I think when you and I met, we were like talking NBA. I think it was the first, really before even UCF. We were both at UCF at the time and we were talking NBA. We both were literally getting NBA gigs while we were at school. So we, we follow this daily. And what's fascinating now, we got two guys in particular with BJ Taylor and, and Taco Fall in Summer League. BJ Taylor, the headliner with the Magic. And then you got Taco Fall with the Celtics. He's become the story of Summer League. But you, of uh, probably one of maybe a few people, have know them as well as anybody because you've covered them since high school. Uh, just discuss your history with the two of them in particular because you've covered them going back to the high school days before even UCF. Well, now you're aging me a little bit, Eric. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I started in the market about nine years ago and got to see a lot of these guys get their starts in, back in high school. I mean, B.J. Taylor was – a sophomore on JV um, and then got pulled up and, and his junior year was his breakout year. I remember him just turning it on that season before he uh, stepped back out his junior year. He lost a lot of weight. He really focused on his game and it's paid out dividends since then because I remember covering him at the Winter Park Rotary Tip-Off Classic, which is a historic winter tournament here in Orlando in the metro area. Winter Park High School hosts it. And he just went off for, like, 52 points. He became, like, the tournament MVP. He matched the numbers. And I think he even beat Austin Rivers' um, performance as far as scoring goes in that tournament. And it was, like, his coming out party. And after that, every game was kind of to that level. Um, He just – he was fun to watch. He was a facilitator. He had this confidence about him. And you knew that you could count on him. Um, and that was really fun to cover back in high school. And then I got to catch up with him, you know, obviously cover him through UCF a little bit, a little bit less. There's a little bit more barrier barriers up in the college ranks, but you know, when you see each other, it's always a warm, hello, how are you doing? What's going on? And when he finished out this season, I got to go back with him to Boone high school as he started to prepare and do his pre-draft workouts and, and just really get his mind right and sit down with him and, and kind of just re-get to know each other as adults and what he really wanted to accomplish here. And, yeah, we haven't seen him play for the Orlando Magic in that summer league yet, but I reached out to his camp, and they say that he's just focused on doing his best when he gets that opportunity. And you know BJ. He's never a guy that's going to hang his head low. He told me a couple months ago when we did have that meeting, like, listen, all I need is a chance. I, I am pretty, you know, down to earth here. I know I'm not going to get drafted, but I need someone to give me that opportunity and then they will not be disappointed. So I trust that BJ will get his opportunity, you know, whether it's here in summer league and someone scouts him, he goes uh, G league or overseas. Um, 
BJ, I think, has a path to be a professional basketball player. Taco, oh my goodness, can we not stop? You know, I can't even say his name without smiling, Elo. Um, he was a joy to cover at Liberty Christian. When he came in, I remember he was one of my first interviews as a newly uh, multimedia journalist. For those who are you know listening at home, that means you're one man banding at your camera, your mic, you're setting up your lights. And <laughs> oh, I that's track. a heck of an assignment yeah. to get there. Not that. <laughs> I mean, this he was just a sophomore, I believe, a junior at Liberty Christian, and I was trying to get the story of how he landed here from Senegal and all the hoops he had to jump through. Um, and to find the perfect host family. And no joke, Eric, I'll tell you this. The first interview, I didn't roll the audio correctly. And I had to go back and sit him down again. And I was so embarrassed. <laughs> he probably doesn't remember this, but he was such a good sport about it. And he's just had this energy about him. It's just infectious. And so when you see him at first, you know, obviously he's the seven foot seven basketball you know, superstar, um, but he's not, he's a gentler soul and he's just a remarkable uh, man. We just saw him um, take the AAC all academic honors. And, and for me, like watching him come over, you know, freshly from, from Senegal at that point, I, I was just impressed with him um, through and through. And I remember covering his signing day when he um, signed to go to UCS. And I was like, hey, Taco, let's, let's go outside. Can I take a photo with you? And much like everybody else that sees him, you, you want that photo. You want that keepsake. He's like, yeah, just, you know, what do you want me to do? I'm like, I don't know. We'll, you know, we'll do whatever. And so it ended up being like kind of a selfie. And I have my mic flag for at the time, Bright House Sports Network. And he's standing behind me. It looks like two of me, you know. And he's just, he's just been a lovely, a lovely athlete to cover. And he does make our job, you know, so much more fun. And I know the fans feel it too with all those chants inside summer, you know, out in Vegas for Taco Fall. He is an entity. And I think uh, the Celtics are going to find a great way to use him. Well, and he's played well, um, and he's got he's definitely the most popular guy in Summer League, especially once Zion Williamson was announced. He was out for the rest of the Summer League after that first game and that buzz. All the attention has been on Taco Fall, and every time he's on the court, Pete crowd is cheering. Uh, he, he's talked about how he really appreciates that, but – what do you make of all the the hoopla? Because you've seen him for a long time, and obviously all of us that's covered UCF and gone to UCF games, they see him on a regular basis. But it's interesting to me, going back to the NCAA tournament, when Jim Nance and Bill were after in Grand Hill, they were like gaga over him, right? If you listen to the broadcast, yeah. like, oh, it's Taco you know, they, they couldn't get enough of him. And it's kind of been the same way over the summer league with all these NBA guys like, whoa, look at this taco fall. It's they kind of like, don't know what to do with him. Are you, what, what's your impression of how people kind of react to him? Um, kind of like this kind of like, wow, look at this unbelievable guy. They're just fascinated with him. Well, I think they're kind of late to the party, right? We saw yeah. this at UCF and each year he would develop his skills that get a little bit smoother, a little bit more confident, a little bit better um, cardio. Um, now, we're going to, we're starting to see the complete package and everybody else is like, this is something we've, we've seen for years. I think what stood out most about his summer league play, um, of course he's tall, of course he's going to grab those rebounds and slam it back. Um, but his finesse with his moves towards the basket have been so smooth and buttery. And it just, it's, it's nice to, to see it all come 
to fruition because he did start playing the game late and he's 23 years old, right? That's old to be going into NBA summer league when you're playing against 18, 19 year olds that are one and done. So I think his ceiling is, is so much higher than people, what people are expecting, you know? So he's blowing people away, of course, because they had no expectations. Now I talked to analysts before back in February, like where they thought, uh, Taco Fall was going to go in the draft. I had people tell me, he, oh, he's a first rounder. So obviously no one, you know, no one bit at that. But he's got the potential to be one of the best snags in this year's, you know, class. Well, I think if, if this was 2008, I think he would have been a first round pick. I think the problem is, and you know this, you and I have been at the, you know, the NBA, we covered it, how the game's changed the last few years. It's more small ball now than ever before where, you got a guy like Nikola Vucevic, the star center for the Magic. He's out in the perimeter shooting three-point shots, which was – you would never have thought that like 10 years ago. Look at Dwight Howard, who was the face of the Magic franchise. He's kind of been obsolete from the league because his game is outdated, right, because he has no perimeter game. Um, so I think that's my concern with Taco there, Despina, is, you know, can that really blend into this this age of the NBA is can he blend in with that and be athletic and be able to guard these skilled big guys out in the perimeter? That's my concern. Well, and it's very valid. Um, the summer league coach for Boston, Scott Morrison, said worst case scenario, we could use him as a specialty player, right? Situationally, he comes in primarily probably defensively to have that presence. Or he says, you know, best case scenario, he could be a regular role player. I think they're going to try and figure out how to plug him in. I think having a man in the league that is seven foot seven and can defend the way he is, it is very critical. Nobody else has that. Like that's going to be something that sets the Celtics aside and something teams are going to have to plan for if he does make that 15 man roster. So right now we signed to that exhibit 10 deal where he could, you know, if he signs with the team. G League, there's a, some money involved there, incentive to keep him within the franchise. Um, but if he does uh, end up signing, getting a position uh, with the Celtics, I mean, that's a $580,000 paycheck, as, you know, and that's the minimum. All right, we're speaking with Despina Barton with, uh, here with Spectrum Sports here on Black and Gold Banneret. And, and, and I think that's going to be interesting with Taco. I could see him being a two-way player contract. I think where you have the flexibility to kind of put him into the G League and then maybe call him up if you have to. I feel like that's where Taco's future is headed. And, you know, the Celtics is not a bad situation because – they lost some bigs uh, during the offseason. Al Hartford obviously went to the Philadelphia 76ers. They uh, traded uh, Baines over. They did sign Enos Cantor, but he's not a defensive center. So they, you know, they, they, they probably are searching for bigs right now. And, and, you know, Taco, I think, as you mentioned, he hasn't played a lot of basketball, but he's got some upside. He is tall. And as they say in basketball, you can't teach height. I could see a two way contract in his future, don't you? Yeah, I mean, he's already impressing, you know, everybody at Summer League. He had 12 points in 11 minutes against Cleveland, then six in, in 10 minutes on Saturday against Philly, four rebounds. I mean, he's just a force in the paint, and, and I think they will find a way to utilize him like you're talking about, Elo. He will have a spot. All right, you mentioned B.J. Taylor earlier. He didn't expect, obviously, to be drafted. He's with the Magic. You cover the Magic regularly. You know, that, the point guard position has been a hot topic with the Magic now for the last couple of years. What's going to do there? They obviously acquired Markel Fultz last season. It's kind of a low risk, trying to see what they can get out of the former number one pick. We don't know when he's ever going to play. It's always a great mystery with him. You don't know him. anything, Eric. No. 
<laughs> it's a great mystery. Good luck if you get info on him. Um, but they have DJ Augustine. Uh, they looks like they're going to bring back Michael Carter Williams. So, uh, in your opinion, knowing both sides very well, do you think there's any a chance BJ can somehow be on this Magic roster, or maybe even on the Lakeland Magic, which is uh, the G League team that the Orlando Magic run and is in Lakeland? Could is that a possibility at all with BJ? I don't think there's a possibility for him to make the 15 man Orlando Magic roster. Um, I think DJ Augustine is going to be your veteran go to guy. Michael Carter Williams has proven himself in that one year deal. It looks like he'll sign another one year uh, shortly. Uh, Jeff Waltman is still figuring out, you know, and, and Carter Williams camp uh, are still talking things through. I, I don't think BJ competes at that, at that level yet. Uh, who's to say though? Lakeland could be a good a good spot for him. I mean, we saw a lot of guys in the way Magic like to pull guys up and down. And you don't know what's going to happen during the season with injuries. Like that may be the best option, right? You're playing close to home in Lakeland. You're still training at a high level with other guys that, that want to make it to that team. Um, I think he just he needs a shot. And uh, obviously, if the Magic aren't going to give him one on their A squad. And, and nobody else, too. I mean, there's going to be so many options for him, I think, if he gets some playing time on the court. And then you know how these agents work. You're going from one summer of league to another workout to another training session, and then you're, you know, showcasing here. Um, the point is to get him paid and get him in a, a pro organization. So I think he'll then have to make the best decision that's for him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Lakeland would be interesting just from a business standpoint. I think all parties would kind of benefit there. Local kid playing in Lakeland. For the, I mean, I mean P, good PR for everybody. But, you know, the question, you know, I've told people this, and I think you would agree with this. I think the, 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 the thing that BJ's got to go in against him as far as the NBA is concerned is, first of all, it's his height, but he's not a great defender compared to a, a Fred Van Vliet, for example, who was undrafted out of Wichita State and helped the Toronto Raptors to the NBA title recently. He's not a great defender, and I think people still – is he a consistent enough shooter? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Is that a fair uh, kind of concerns, red flags about BJ? I think they're fair. I mean, we've seen, quote-unquote, like lazy moments on defense um, from BJ. Uh, but he also had to battle injuries year after year, and I think there was some hesitation on that front. I think getting out of that college realm and, and having the season they had, he just has a lot of room to, to, to grow and to show that he can adapt and be a value to somebody. Um, it, it's, it's rough. It's rough. You're, you're trying to make a 15-man roster of only 30 professional teams in the country. Um, there's just so much talent. I don't know if, if, if he can find that role. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. He's going to have to prove himself. And it, like, I agree with that. And I've told people this, too. We've talked about it in the podcast. And I mentioned this with Aubrey Dawkins because I feel like Aubrey has the best shot of the three to have yes, significant I limits agree. in the NBA. You agree with that? And, but it may not be yeah. necessarily with the Pelicans because the Pelicans are stacked with young players. So – he may not make it there, but he could get that. Could open the doors to other teams uh, down the road. Is that how you kind of feel for all these three guys? I, I think Taco maybe has the best shot of sticking with the the current team because of what we talked mm-hmm. about with the Celtics big situation. But I think Aubrey of the three has the most to, to to kind of give. He has the best talent. He's the most talented guy of the three. The question with him is that. Jump shot, and it's been interesting. I've watched him in summer league. He's been a spot up shooter. He, you know, can he hit the three point shot consistently? 
Um, that's going to be the big, one of the bigger questions. But I think he's athletic enough to guard and defend, but I don't think it's going to be on the Pelicans. He's probably going to have to uh, open some eyes for other teams. How fun would it be, though, if he did stick with the yeah. Pelicans? Yeah. Aubrey Dawkins, a week ago, no joke, Elo, was downtown Orlando putting up shots at the 24-hour fitness. I know this because my husband was gawking at him as he hit what? every single shot he took. And he proceeded, Matt, to call me and let me know Dawkins is a beast. And he has that shot factor. Um, he told us when he came to work out at the Magic, like, you know, people ask him, you know, is there such thing as ageism going on here? Because he's 24 years old, right? Yep. So yep. he's he's older, he's more mature. Teams aren't willing to risk as much on someone that maybe has already developed all their habits or reached their ceiling or um, cannot fit into a certain system. And and I do think this is ageism. I think this is starting the, the age where we start to see players come out of their shell finally and become more... Uh, productive on the court. They know who they are, what their skill set is, and, and how they can be most beneficial. And I think Dawkins, I mean, it was a quiet eight points, four rebounds uh, against the Knicks. And unfortunately, the broadcasters were talking over a lot of his shots he made. <laughs> but man, they were beautiful. And he impressed, I think he imp- he definitely impressed me. Um, just being able to hold his own, um, you know, with so many big names on the court next to you. Uh, I think he's a very poised man and uh i think he has the best shot of being on one of those 30 teams when when this summer concludes and get minutes i think he'll get minutes and you're right age is a big part of this if he was 19 or 20 he would have been drafted but the fact he's 23 or 24 the league kind of looks at it well he's peaked you know they love the upside Mm -hmm. right like the magic drafting mo bamba it's upside now he's not a he's nowhere near a finished product he's a project they've said that from the beginning but they like the potential. So the potential seems to win out in the first round at the expense of guys that have been in college for a long time, like an Aubrey Dawkins. Because, and that's why you see, I think, more and more guys have success coming out of the second round or even undrafted in the NBA because those guys are more polished and you know what you're going to get. Like a Malcolm Brogdon, who won the Rookie of the Year, was a second-round pick. Draymond Green was a second-round pick, and you see what he's turned out to be. There's other examples of that. The Raptors actually are filled. They don't even have a lottery pick on their roster. They won the NBA title, but yet – but as you know, having covered the Magic Drafts, they love the upside with wingspans and all that stuff. And so as a result, unfortunately – that goes up against Aubrey Dawkins. Plus, he did have an injury history with his shoulder. Yeah, no, that, that's no doubt. We know how the system works. But I think what we're starting to see, much to, to, to what you're saying here with these older guys, or the guys that are spending more time in college or have to battle back from injuries, there's a level of maturity that comes along with that. I mean, think about the 18-year-old self of you, Elo, and the 24-year-old self. <laughs> I can tell you personally, I've made lots of mistakes that I will never make again during that time period. But these guys, 18, 19-year-olds, are going into the league with mass amounts of dollars, even larger groups of groupies hanging around, um, and you're forced to make big decisions that will affect you for probably the rest of your life if you make the wrong one. So, uh, I mean, I've always gravitated to the older guys. Um, I like Nikola Vucevic. I love, you know, Terrence Ross. Our group of guys that Jeff Weltman decided that he believes in and wants to build the magic with, I think he's on the right track, and those are older guys. Yeah, yeah. We're speaking with Despina Barton of Spectrum Sports. You can see her uh, most weeknights uh, on News 13 uh, on Spectrum Cable Systems. They're on News 13 on Spectrum 360. 
does a lot covers the Magic, covers UCF uh, here on Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, but what's the legacy for BJ and Taco? Yeah, we'll throw Aubrey in there, and you know, I don't mean to ignore Chad Brown. He's also on the Magic team, but he's he's not going to make it either. He's going to have to get other opportunities be after this. But what's the legacy of this team that got to the NCAA tournament? Was within a tip and away from beating Duke yeah. in the second round and, and leading the UCF for the first time in the NCAA tournament since 2005. Think about that. You and I were in school. Uh, <laughs> And they hadn't been to the tournament since 05. Heck, you weren't even in UCF yet, right? Where were you in 05? You were in high school? I'm going to outdate you. I, was, I know. I was a sophomore in high school. Oh. Either, I think at Gulf High School in Newport, Ritchie. If anybody's listening, <laughs> I made it out. <laughs> you made it out. But what's going to be the yeah. legacy for this team as Johnny Dawkins is going into a, a, a transition year with a lot of new faces and transfers? But what a legacy, though, with that group with BJ and Taco leading UCF back to the tournament. Yeah, um, to me, this is the best team that UCF has put out. I remember the days when Mike O'Donnell, Jermaine Taylor were playing and playing big. Uh, Josh Peppers, who I just connected with, uh, I think he was class of 07, uh, who was competing in the TBT tournament. Um, got a story coming out about him this week. Um, this is definitely the most talented. They were the most exciting group. You want to see these players move on and keep, you know, those UCF uh, ties into the league. There aren't a lot of them. Um, and just like football, it's going to take time. I think Taco Fall with the Celtics um, is, could be magical um, for not only UCF, but for, but for the NBA and to embrace uh, him, all seven foot seven of him. And, and they already saying he's, he has a cult following. That's exactly what it was at UCF. I think, they have to remember, you know, they were they were built by UCF. That's just remember your roots, guys. Um, for BJ Taylor, I will always remember him in the in the orange jersey, um, blowing up the scoreboard for Boone High School. So these guys have a lot to be proud of, um, and most of them had their degrees, which is a good backbone. So if these pro careers diminish, and I know things get a little gray with Taco and his. Uh, uh, visa over here, um, but regardless, this is the most talented group to, to come out of UCF. And for, for Johnny Dawkins, you know, these aren't even guys besides his own son that he recruited. Um, Johnny Jones deserves a lot of credit. He was an exceptional recruiter. Um, I, I enjoyed covering Johnny Jones as the head coach for UCF. He just didn't have all the pieces in place, and it's, it's going to be fun to watch him coach at Stetson just down the road in Galand. Um, so you got to give kudos to Donnie Jones for recognizing and recruiting, uh, you know, BJ Taylor, Taco Fall, wanting them to turn the page and UCF history books. Like guys don't, didn't want to stay in town and play for the hometown team five, six years ago. Now they do. Chad Brown too from Deltona. Like I, I think what they're doing more is showing that being a hometown kid is very valuable. And do you think the success with BJ's had and, all, and, 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 Taco and Chad at UCF, does that, you know, and you follow these high school players, you know what they're thinking. Does this now kind of create an opportunity for Johnny Dawkins? Is that going to help him get more local guys within the region to come to UCF where maybe in the past that was a problem? I hope so. I mean, Nazir Little was here last year, um, right down the road at OCP. So, and we know Nazir Little went to UNC and got drafted late in, I believe, the first round. Like, there's talent here. Uh, I don't know how big his footprint is here. 
because his roots were obviously in the Carolinas and then beyond. So you just got to want to get to know the community that you're representing. Um, same thing with, you know, Josh Heifel over to football, like Scott Frost loved being here. I mean, you would see him and his staff at every darn high school game I went to on Friday night. No, no joking. Um, Heifel has connected with the coaches, but it takes time to build those relationships. Um, So I I think only time will tell. Um, And looking at the high school landscape this year, um, I don't think we have guys that, you know, UCF would necessarily go for uh, this next year, but certainly in coming up in the future, uh, there's a lot of guys you want to pluck and you want to keep them here. The interesting thing, too, about basketball recruiting, it's tough. Like, if you're little, if North Carolina wants you, it's hard to say no, right? I mean, that's the pre- one of the yeah. premier programs in college basketball. Vince Carter left to go to North Carolina. Other guys go to power programs like the Kentuckys of the world. Whereas in football, there's so much talent in the state, and you can speak to this having covered the high school football landscape. There's so much talent across the state where there's still enough talent where even if guys leave the state to go to big programs wherever – that there's plenty of talent for everybody, whereas in basketball it's a little more like the top-level talent usually leaves the state because they go to major programs, so you almost have to settle for the Tier 2 talent, whereas football, there's so much talent that you could still steal some talent, Tier 1 guys, on the football standpoint, right? Yeah, there's just yeah, there's so much talent. There's so much to go around between us and uh, Tampa Bay and Miami. Like These kids are the fastest, fiercest <laughs> um, ball players. At you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. Um, yeah, it, it's rich soil here in these parts, Elo. <laughs> That's uh, the speed of Barton there from Spectrum Sports. Check her out on three six Spectrum three sixty. Uh, tell the artists where they could find your work there, and uh, of course, uh, Spectrum Sports. Yeah, every night from ten thirty to eleven, uh, we have a sports show on Spectrum News thirteen. It's called Spectrum Sports three sixty. Uh, there's four of us. We have uh, Pat Welter, John Alba, Luke Hetrick, and myself, and uh, a few good producers. And we uh, we put on a great sportscast that has a lot of storytelling. And, of course, we're about to ramp everything up with football getting going, Gators, UCF, FSU. Um, it's a fun show, so I hope you check it out. All right, this being thanks for joining us. I'll see you right around the, when football starts there with UCF. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me, Elo. That's the Spina Barton Spectrum Sports back with more here on the Black and Gold Banneret. And welcome back here to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Eric Lopez, thanks to Despina Barton for joining us. A couple quick thoughts before we wrap up this show. Uh, some interesting news uh, UCF, UCF related. And, and, and let me just finish uh, as we were talking about Taco and BJ. Obviously, Taco, a lot of fanfare. At summer league, it's been awesome to see. But I, you know, I hope people just understand. You know, Judge Moore is the basketball player. I, I thought there was in poor taste uh, what ESPN, one of the ESPN reporters did with the whole tall gimmick jokes and taco jokes. It was just poor taste. I, he's a good kid. It's and I'm happy that he's enjoying himself at the Celtics. Whether he makes the Celtics roster, G League, it remains to be seen. But uh, we'll see what happens with him. But he's got a good future in the NBA, as I talk uh, in basketball in general. Uh, and I think he'll be back in summer league regardless just because, hey, he's, he's, people want to see him play, and I could see him being overseas as well. Um, I think BJ, and as Despina brought up, I think Despina, uh, I think for BJ, more than likely it's going to either be G League or overseas for him, and I think I would say the same. I think Chad Brown is more than likely an overseas player as well, and I think Aubrey Dawkins, you know, we'll see. I, I don't know if he can make the Pelicans, but we'll, time will tell on that as well. So hope for the best for those guys. Um, and see how it goes. By the way, 
if you check out Spectrum 360, and Despina actually did a feature on Josh Peppers, former UCF player. I know she's going to post that on social media in the coming days, so you might want to check that out. Uh, also, uh, some softball news. The U.S. Junior National Team played in the International Cup. But a lot of big event. The U.S. National Team won that gold medal of that tournament that took place in Columbus, Georgia last weekend. The Junior National Team, which is basically players 19 and under, won the bronze medal there. And the reason I bring that up is because current UCF softball head coach Cindy Ball was on the staff as an assistant coach on that. So she got bronze medal for that. They're going to – she's going to be a part of that staff this summer in August, the junior national team, which won the gold medal in Clearwater in the Junior World Championship. They're going to defend their gold medal in the Junior World Championships in Irvine, California in August. And Coach Ball will be a part of that. Tiffany Jordan, who's the assistant – at UCF is with the junior Canadian national team. They're currently at the Canada Cup, a big Canadian uh, tournament event. A lot of international teams play there as well as some all-star teams, including a college all-star team uh, known as Triple Crown uh, Colorado. And among the players, uh, which has a bunch of players from colleges that are all-stars, and among them is UCF's very own Aaliyah White, who's on that team. So that's all going on right now at the Canada Cup. So it's a great exposure and some news headlines for UCF internationally right now in softball uh, after we saw what the UCF soccer alums did at the Women's World Cup, seeing softball players involved at the Canada Cup and, of course, the Junior World Championships and the coaching staffs. And uh, they will be – that. so that's going to be a lot of fun there. That's going on right now at the Canada Cup. For more information on that, check out – the In the Circle SB on Twitter, they have a podcast. Someone hosts that with this similar voice. So you could get all the details on that uh, and much more. Uh, some schedules out, folks. We're in fall mode. Fall sports coming out. And we'll get into this more as we get closer to these dates. And uh, we'll discuss this more with Jeff and among them there. But women's soccer has their schedule out as well. Uh, Coach Sahadak and company. Uh, schedule. They're going to start off the regular season at home against Wisconsin on Thursday, August 22nd. As a longtime follower of the program, I think back to when UCF was a, a national seed but had to travel up to Wisconsin, I think in 2009 in the NCAA tournament. So that kind of brings back memories. And then they'll host Ohio State Wednesday, August 28th. So Big Ten teams back-to-back at home to start off the women's soccer season. Other headlines, they go to George Mason on Sunday, September the 1st at Florida, Sunday, September 8th. They host Arizona State Thursday, September 12th. That was a a return game from a couple years ago when UCF went up to Arizona State and beat them there. So that'll be that's a tough schedule again. Not a surprise uh, for Coach Sahadak playing a tough schedule. They also are going to have a California trip at Long Beach State and at UC Irvine on Thursday, September 19th and Sunday, September 22nd prior to conference play starting with Memphis, the defending conference champions, a showdown. Memphis and UCF Thursday, September 26th. The regular season will end uh, hosting South Florida on Halloween, Thursday, October 31st. That's when UCF will host South Florida. Of course, the conference tournament will be hosted by the team that wins the regular season the following uh, week. 
So uh, that's the story there. And then something that we'll probably get into more when Jeff returns to the show in future episodes, the volleyball schedule out as well. Coach Todd Dagen and company are going to start out the year on the road in Oxford, Mississippi on Friday, August 30th. They're going to play Iowa State, Rice, and Old Miss, the host team. Their home opener is Friday, September 6th against South Carolina. They'll be hosting South Carolina, Albany, and Kansas up there at home. Other notable uh, dates in the schedule. They'll also be hosting a rematch from the NCAA tournament. Opening round, UCF will host Florida Gulf Coast Friday, September 20th. They'll host Miami as well as FAU. Conference will begin on Friday, September the 27th against UConn. Make a note, this year, volleyball will have a conference tournament. It will begin on Friday, November 22nd and UCF will be hosting that conference tournament. So, again, we'll have more details on this in future episodes when Jeff returns and we get closer to the seasons for volleyball and soccer starting. Uh, but that's some of the notes there uh, in there. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Black and Gold Red Podcast. For Brian Murphy, uh, I'm Eric Lopez. Thanks to Despina Barton for joining us on this edition. Check us out at blackandgoldbanneret.com. A lot of content, more on this developing story. Obviously, with Daryl Mack out indefinitely with a uh, broken ankle, we'll be following that story, obviously, closely. Obviously, we're going to be covering the American Conference Media Days next week in New Hampshire. Brian Murphy will be up there. We'll recap all of that next week as well as we get closer to the start of the football season and all the fall sports. Before you know it, it's right here. So, uh, lots going on. Make sure you follow the site. I'm continuing my top 25 countdown for the top 25 events, uh, athletic events of UCF from the 2018-19 year. That's all going on on the site. My number 18 was Ro- Rowing, winning this fifth straight conference title. So we'll have that countdown all till to help us get closer to the start of the fall season. So I hope you enjoy that. And obviously we have a lot of content on the blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore banneret. And, of course, like us on Facebook as well on there. So for Brian Murphy, And for the vacationing Jeff Sharon, I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.